going on, DJ Nation? Ken and Kim here bringing you another Fantasy Golf Generous podcast this week for the Dell Match Play. As usual, hold on, I'm about to sneeze, and it went away. As usual, I am here with my partner in crime, everybody's favorite uh, Canadian, the traveling man, Tyler Tambolini. Tyler, what is up, my friend? We're back, man. Thanks to Bear Off for filling in last week. Happy to be back with you. Lots to talk about here coming into this week. Match Play, the what's seemingly the last year for match play. So we'll get to that stuff later, the exciting stuff when it comes to DFS. But before we get into it, Kenny, want to remind everyone very quickly, this show is brought to you and presented by Prize Picks. Head on over to prizepicks.com, use promo code MMN, get yourself a 100% deposit bonus up to your first 100 bucks, get you started off there. They got all different stuff going on there. You can check out with the picks, parlays, higher, lowers, all that stuff. They'll have a bunch out this week, I'm sure. So check out prizepicks.com, use promo code MMN, and very tired. Kenny, a lot, a lot of traveling for sure. The back and forth, the two week run, but it, it was incredible stuff. Lots of support. Appreciate everyone out. Appreciate everyone out there for reaching out. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll have a little story time with Tambo here okay. uh, in a little bit. Well, but before we get there, let's talk about the Valspar Championship last week. Um, I mean, it was actually it's, these these events, even though they're not elevated, but playing on these tough courses, I feel like they're a lot better to watch. Like, I, I. I I watched as much as I could this weekend. Uh, I was a little bit busy, but every time I, I was watching, it was always good stuff going on. Difficult course, winning score, low teens, you know, uh, all, most everybody in single digits that are, uh, I think minus three was still in the top 10, uh, top 15, if I'm not mistaken. Top 10, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we could talk about the, the difficulty of the course and even without the ball being rolled back, guys are still struggling out there. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, Taylor Moore going four under on his last 10 holes through the snake pit uh, to catch uh, Spieth and Shank. Uh, really impressive by him. Shank with a little bit unlucky where he was with that tree uh, on 18. Hit a spectacular punch shot out. Was really unlucky that that left-handed shot went through the fairway um, into um, the rough. And then both Spieth and Shank they both had a shot and both hit really good shots uh, on their approaches. They were probably about three feet short, three to four feet short. That ball lands a little gust of wind, a little bit more adrenaline, and both of those balls roll up pin high for almost a tap in. Uh, but being that, you know, being three feet short causes the ball to roll down the hill. I uh, have to make a miraculous putt speed, missed his, and then Shank goes ahead and bangs the hell out of it. Hits the hits the middle of the flagpole. Hits the middle of the flag. Bounces out. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he got really lucky a lot of the time on that back nine. He had a couple of bombs uh, on that back nine, like 70, 80 foot putts. Uh, that's when I thought Shank was going to win. Of course, my pick, Tommy Fleetwood, just shit the bet on Sunday again. It could only go minus one for the day. Uh, couldn't do nothing. Uh, he had the lead uh, with about five holes left. Uh, and he bogeyed one of the easiest holes on the course, of course, uh, 14 to basically take him out of contention. And I, you know, threw my TV uh, remote through the wall uh, of my home because th- that was the only way I was going to have a winning week, personally, with Tommy. So a little frustrating. What did you think of the event? Yeah, everything you said, just you know, the harder courses, I always love it. I love the Valspar. It's been been good to me in the past. And just watching it in general as a fan is definitely a good course. I was traveling yesterday. I got to see most of the ending, though. So, like, I saw the ending, but I got to see most of it leading up to it and all the stuff that you talked about. You know, Shank was stealing Speed's powers a little bit down the stretch. So, people, some love that that had him. Taylor Moore, I wonder how surprised. Obviously, in a tough course like that, it can always go your way. 
down the stretch and in the end, once you post that number and get there, but with Shank, with Speed, with Fleetwood, I really thought somebody would get there. Good showing from Clark. Burns, another great, so back-to-back wins there, and now comes six, like another good run from him, a great Sunday round. Webb, uh, you know, back not a great Sunday, but some news on Webb. I'm, I'm sure many saw it today, but Webb and Tesori splitting and going separate ways, and Tesori is going to jump on Cameron Young's bag, which we've had this caddy narrative work out in the past. We've seen it for Scotty Scheffler work pretty well with Ted Scott hopping on the bag when he left Bubba. So just in general, uh, some stuff like that that you could see here. And then uh, the stuff he talked about with Shank, it's, you know, something that's the whole, the whole point of the variance, right? Like you, you've got it. Uh, he had a lot of stuff go his way. That one did not. It's a little bit unlucky down the stretch, but tried to pull the Danny Lee off at the end. And, and this one bubbled up and didn't go in, but Danny Lee on the live tour got his win by jarring one off the green like that and just dropped in. So uh, crazy stuff over the weekend. Spieth, another close call, man. I'm not sure if he, is he just saving it for Augusta National Golf Club or what, but uh, Fleetwood, we're not sure if he's ever going to get the job done, but a great week from him nonetheless again. So, uh, and then, you know, Wyndham Clark up there too. So I, I don't know what you think other than that, but those guys for me were the yeah. ones that stood out. Uh, you know, I've been on Spieth all year, you know, it was mostly because of low ownership uh, and it's been helping. Of course, uh, I went with the weather wave uh, this past week, and I went to Patrick. Uh, no, I, went, I forget who I went. I went Burns uh, instead of him. Uh, no, Fitzpatrick. I forget who I went. Patrick finished plus three and missed the cut. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I think I went Fitzpatrick instead of him because I thought he was going to be lower owned, but then of course Fitzpatrick was like sixteen and 19 percent owned too uh, when it came down to it. And that was a mistake. Uh, Shank was one of the last people I left off. Like I had him in my lineup generator, and I had to finagle stuff to fit everything and he was one of my last off so so not the greatest week not not too happy about the way it ended but you know it was a good event and we move on because we're just degenerates and now we go uh into this match play before we talk about that other controversies uh it seems like there's a controversy every single week uh on the tour uh, I'm going to try not to yell at Tambo this time I don't know what his feelings are uh, on the rollback of the golf ball but man uh, that, that this is one one topic that gets people heated uh, online. It's like it's like an episode. Of, it's like a lame is out there. Like, do you hear the people sing singing the song of angry men? I mean, it's like angry people all the time. You can't you can't get your points across in this type of argument. For me, when it comes to the rollback, if you guys haven't heard, the USGA and the the RNA want to roll the ball back. Basically, I mean. The reason why is, I mean, if you want to see the the uh, the road hole, the why am I blanking on the name of the course, the road hole, St Andrews, yeah, yeah. If you if you want to if you if you want to play St Andrews in fifteen twenty years, you probably have to roll the ball back. I mean, it's not if they if the ball keeps going, technology keeps moving forward. I mean, they're never going to be able to play that course in a major situation again. Uh, I mean, personally, for me, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, if they roll the ball back, I mean, it's longer hitters are still going to be long, shorter hitters are still going to be short. Uh, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, I, I I don't know if it's going to be accepted. I don't even think it's I don't think it's that big of a deal. But obviously, it is, to, especially the players. Uh, who are voicing their malcontent about this new rule. What do you think about the rollback, Cambo? I have little opinion on it, I will say, so we won't be arguing on this one, but I guess it's it's not my ex, my area of expertise. It's not something, you know, I know uh, our guy Andy Lack, he'll talk about how much he loves the courses and all that. So to, from that point, you talk about it. I guess that's why they would probably want it in some cases, to protect some of these courses. I would look at it, and this is probably ignorant, but just to say, like, every sport evolves. 
right? We talk about it all the time. We get in the argument of Michael Jordan versus the new age back then, no hand check fouls and things like that. All the different now the size of the guys, there's seven footers out there shooting threes. And I'm not saying they're one to one. I'm just saying all sports evolve in some way. There, look, there's going to be guys that become taller, stronger, faster, bigger that even with stuff rolled back should still be able to hit it further than the other guys that have it rolled back. So I, I guess to keep the course integrity and be able to still play it in a fair way, I guess that would be the argument, like you said, on something like the old course. But in general, I don't know enough about it to, to say much on it because I just think in general, it's like the game is going to change no matter what we do. It seems a little bit tough to say, okay, we everyone's getting too good. We need to change the equipment. That, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, they, they want to make the courses longer. I mean, it makes it more difficult to actually, you know, procure that land uh, to make courses longer. To, so just to get keep the courses happy, I mean, that are playing these you know, PGA Tour events, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I, again, on the knowledge base, I, I don't know too much about it. I don't know how much it would affect the game. But, I mean, if everyone's going to be playing the same stuff, I mean, so what? I, I don't have any problems with that. I mean, if that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. though. Is that, is that what they're arguing? Is that if we do this rollback, everyone's still playing the rollback, so it's still fair, even though you are still bigger, stronger, faster. You're just not, if you're going to hit it 310 instead of 320 or 300 instead of 320, this guy's still going to be behind you and it keeps it fair and so on and so forth. We just can't have you hitting it 370 down this hill or all this stuff. I guess, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's going to be tough anyway, but in general, from that perspective, I could at least understand it some, but I'm I'm impartial and, and I don't care enough. I hope that they do what's best for the game and I hope everyone's happy with the results so we can just continue to watch good golf because we have the best players in the world like crazy right now. It's just nuts. When we get into this match play today, talking about some of these groups and these battles and stuff we're going to get to see this weekend, it has me excited. So just thinking of it from that perspective, hopefully they do what's right and everyone works something out. But it, it is odd that, you, like I say, you look to change equipment to change the game completely where we don't you know, see it as much, at least in other sports. We saw like baseball, adding the pitch clock. That's where I would prefer golf go. Something like that, add the, add the timestamp on it so we can get some of these rounds. I think this is the first week that we got the rounds complete. By Friday, Saturday, uh, because we got daylight Thursday, savings on the correct times. But yeah, I mean, it, this happens every year. All, all the events before daylight savings happens before we spring forward. Um, I mean, I'm sure the majority, more than half of them, don't finish the first two rounds. Yeah, uh, even in the past right. five I'm years, saying, we, we still got to get some speed in these games yeah. sometimes. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with you. I, I mean, pace of play is always going to be an issue, uh, and it, it's not like they're really trying too hard to fix it. You know what I'm saying? Not I mean, like, yeah. they're not really doing shit about it. So it's just something to deal with. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to rollback, whatever, do what you want to do. I, I I don't have enough knowledge to really yell at one side or the other. I'm definitely uh, going to take in more this week on it and try and get some yeah. more information. Like I, I like to look into that stuff and hear about it, but to me, uh, we'll see if, you know, if it's a, it's a heavily affecting daily fantasy play or, or betting or something like that, then I'll care a lot more. And technically I can get why someone could make the argument that it could, but I'm saying we're not seeing it right now anyway. So it's not really a big concern of mine, at least versus like, again, going back to baseball, the pitch clock, the bigger bases, all that, that will actually affect daily fantasy play because it will have where more stolen bases, potentially less strikeouts, things like that, where that could affect how you play MLB DFS right now. We'll have to wait for it to happen to see how it all goes. But for right now, I'm not too concerned. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, your week. So, Tambo, I don't know if you guys know out there, in the last two weeks, he was in the DraftKings Fantasy Basketball World Championship, flew from his home in, what, northeast Canada to Denver, 
back to back home to, to, to Northeast Canada. And then he went to the FanDuel Fantasy Basketball World Championship in Nashville, flew to Nashville, came back 10,000 miles in the last two weeks. How much did you win? Did you have a good time? Any crazy stories? It was a great time. The total combined, I believe, was 155,000. So the problem was FanDuel was really bad this past week. I'm not sure. Maybe it was the travel effect or something there. I'll try and blame whatever I can. But no, it was a, it was a great time. If you just look at it from that perspective, well, that's how I was trying to do it. Is like how you know you got to combine them. It was two good life changing opportunities. DraftKings had a million for first. FanDuel had 500,000. The FanDuel one is a little bit more top heavy. My best result was in Denver. It was an eighth place for 100k. The other lineup behind that came for like 35 or 40k, and then there was a, a 10k or a 15K and then another 10K at FanDuel. But either way, I look at it as a combined journey, like you said, but some wild stuff, like real quick. I won't go too far on it because it's a golf pod and everything. People can hit the timestamps, but I had very bad luck on flights and I never have bad luck on flights. The way to Denver, it was electronic, what is it, electrical issue, I guess you call it with the plane. It got delayed. That forced me 30 minutes outside of my connecting flight to Denver where we were supposed to go to this amazing restaurant called garden grace and it's got like wagyu steaks it's got like steak platters that you can try all the different options and all this anyway so i had to miss that dinner and stay overnight in toronto to fly out to denver first thing in the morning so i got there but that was tough have a great time in denver win a lot of money exciting go back home on denver on the tuesday and we get about five thousand feet from the ground and you hear the wheels going back up i already heard them come down so I know the wheels are going back up now in my head. And I'm like, I'm looking outside the window. We're getting pretty close. And all of a sudden, jackknife mode, straight up. The plane just goes, gets us right back. And you can see the little ticker on the screen thing going up, 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 up. They decided with the winds and everything like that, that it wasn't safe to land. So they take us right back up at the last minute. No warning. It, it's a decision they make on the fly. So you just got to hope for the best. There's people crying, praying and stuff, everything like that. They take us back to... A place uh, you're going to go, we, we call it's Quebec City, right? So we talk about going there for Montreal in there and stuff like that for the, the President's Cup. But basically, they sat us there for two and a half hours to let us know. This is when the crazy thing over here, come over the airplane microphone from a pilot, at least that I've ever heard. All right, guys, so we were going to divert you back to Toronto, but there's another plane that left after us to go into where you're from, and they're going to try and land it. And if it works out, We'll try next. So if it works what? out. If it works, <laughs> hey, at least you weren't the guinea pig. At it least you weren't that though. first If he had plane, said, right? like, and I swear, this is the word. If he had said, like, if, if everything goes smoothly or if all is safe and all is, if it works out, he obviously just tripped up his words and meant to say, like, if they're cool to land, we'll go and land it. But he said, if it works out, people looked at each other like, so if they don't die, or if they if they don't die, we're going to try round two. If they do die, we just, oh, we won't go and we'll just let them be. So it was pretty wild. We ended up getting back. The second landing, not that much safer just three hours later. So rough scene there. Got back home with the family, the kids for about 24 hours. Flipped back out to Nashville. Good luck on the way there. Bad luck on the way home last night. Got home at about 4 a.m. Again, it was delayed Ugh. out of Toronto again. So just bad luck on the flights. But a great time overall, nonetheless, uh, you know, pretty big accomplishment for me. Excited to make it to both those events, be in them with some of the top pros in the world and be able to play for that kind of money and, and end up making really strong money over those two weeks. So pretty happy with myself for that. Uh, I hope you were in business or first class. Because we, uh, 
Uh, with the wife this time yesterday, we were. So that at okay, least good. made it okay. But good, good. the free drinks aren't as good at 2 a.m. as what you planned on having them at like 9 o'clock. It's like a nightcap, get home, yeah. kids are sleeping, you stay up, put your stuff away and go to bed. Long delays, again, just sitting around airports, not, not that fun. Yeah, so I, I'm not super wealthy. But uh, ever since I started working this new job, I've traveled for work. I've been to Dallas and uh, Tampa and some other places for work. Uh, and my boss always gets me business class or first class. And so now, like when I fly personally, I can't fly coach anymore. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just too spoiled, you know? So so I just spend the extra money and, and pay for business. I mean, it's the way I got to do it because, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a larger guy. I'm not super large. I could still sit and coach comfortably, but I've just been too spoiled. I can't do it no more. So I guess Kenny's too rich. Well. So, like that, you know? that's the one thing when we got off the plane, at least when we were that delayed. I was thinking in my head, oh man, hopefully my bags aren't delayed this time too. And then my wife reminded me, no, we're going to be like the first bags off for priority. And then sure enough, we were like bag six and seven, grab yeah. them and go. And there's only one cab, right? No Ubers here really for, for the most part. So it was like cab, there was two cabs. We're like, well, we'll get the first one. The first one's taken. We're like, oh shit, we got the second one. It was all good. So at least we got that once we did get back. But huh. uh, both great places, I will say. I know that you know people might not like this because there's great people from Denver too, but I did like Nashville over denver and in the last year and a half at these live finals i've been to memphis new orleans uh where else uh san diego denver and nashville and i would definitely put nashville as number one it's just something about the vibe i'm not a big country music guy or anything but it's like everybody is just there to have a great time and so while that may and should be the case everywhere you go it just is not the same vibe as nashville was the food was great uh great people courtesy just you know everything about it was solid and the event was great too but in general i thought that was the best city of those last five that i mentioned so shout out to all the great people out there from nashville all the other cities are good nashville was just better to me well congrats on the win Thank always you. good when you when you win six figures uh, you gotta love it you gotta love it so congrats to you thank you all right so let's move on uh let's go to last week's listener league the winner was a gups corner member uh, Steve, 3258 with the Gups Corner uh, avatar. I uh, love to see that. Uh, he had Sam Burns finished in six. He was 9% owned. Justin Rose, uh, 30% owned. He finished in 36, sort of fell off a little bit on the weekend. Taylor Moore, the winner, 8.5% owned. Uh, he had Will Gordon, who finished 36, uh, 5% owned. Sam Ryder, uh, who I think me and um, Baroff both liked last week, 13% owned. Uh, he finished in 20th place, and he had Adam Shank. So he had one and number two. Shank was only 3% on, of course. He finished second. Uh, what do you think of the lineup? And also, I think Shank has to uh, give a buy Spieth uh, a dinner or something because uh, Spieth missed that putt uh, on 18 to give Shank the solo second. Uh, yeah. A little bit more money uh, in his bank account. What do you think of the lineup? It's a great a, GPP a lineup, of, right? I mean, for, for Shank, I'm assuming, obviously, you're not going to get – too many good things that can make up for not winning, but I think it was like 165,000 I read. So pretty, yeah. pretty solid for him to get that bump at the end. If you're not going to win, at least take the extra cash and move on. That's the way it goes. So uh, overall lineup solid. You talked about it quite a bit, but just in general, like look at the, the options here, 3% shank, 5% Gordon, 9% burns, like just everywhere that others weren't going. So when you look at it from that perspective, that helped lead to the 24 and a half point blowout, which I will call it that it's pretty close in a tournament like this, just to have one, two, six, the two guys at one in 19th and the two in 36. And then the scoring, we talk about it all the time, but like Gordon 
T36, scoring the same as Ryder, finishing T19, right? All, all those places better. So anything like that you see is always a, a good way to look at it. So shout out to Steve3258. See him in the three-man this week, as well as in, he's already joined the group getting into the Tournament of Champions. And then I will note, Kenny, before we move on to this week's stuff, but uh, the Lister League, with it starting on Wednesday, I posted it out there today. It's still 1,000. They didn't go back to 1250 with one day less. And I know last week was tougher, and even some of the main contests this week people weren't as excited with because they dropped them a little bit. But we got to remember, you know, match play, as excited as we all get for it, which we'll talk the strategy and the quadrants and all that stuff in a minute here, it's actually not as exciting for everybody else. We talk about it. We're in a bubble. That's why we all get excited for it. We, you know, 30% of the field makes dead lineups or, or lineups that can't be optimal. I think uh, I saw Sky Hope post today. Our guy Skyler said, I think last year there was 15 people that had the final four in their lineup. So it's definitely guys do get there. So it is possible. It's plenty possible. My guy, Harry Birdie Monster, he had the winner last year. So shout out to him. But he uh, was talking about it today and same thing. And you can definitely get it. We had it last year. but the general public, Kenny, doesn't love that because they're not good with the optimizer. They can't figure out the rules. They don't want to do it. And I'm not going to go through all that today because people want to know it and you set it up so they don't meet. Uh, Rick Rungood does a great video on YouTube. It's free. You can go check it out. He, he did it today on YouTube. You can see it. He breaks that down and you can just pause it and rewind to keep finding the rules if you want to do that. We're going to talk through like we always do on this event by the quadrants. But just in general, I think that's why you see not as many people as excited and why the contest did get dialed back just slightly. But there's still good contests. There's still a lot of money to be won. That's our plan. As always, we're degenerates. We're going to go out, try and get that money. But long story short, Lister League, 1000 this week. I am told that we are still good for 1500 for the Masters in two weeks. So fill this one up. Let's keep it rolling. Let them know what we're all about, and we'll get, get it going from there. Any, anything else you want to talk about, Kenny? Yeah, before we get into uh, this week, let's go uh, Clam Digger Ball, who won last week, uh, who won the Lister League last week. He actually won the four-man. He beat Tyler, myself, and Ryan, a uh, hell of a DFS player. I do want to say uh, he hit me up. His dog passed uh, on Monday after the win. Uh, so if you guys out there, um, I think his Twitter name is, uh, hold on. Let me get his Twitter name out here. Just so. All right, so. um uh, I don't remember his Twitter name, but if you go, it, 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 it just just if you see him or if you if you know who he is on Twitter, uh, you can go ahead and give him give him a little shout out because it's nothing worse than losing your puppy. Uh, it's like the worst thing that can happen, like in life almost. I've I, I've lost the, the I've lost a dog, and I haven't lost anyone really tight in my family, and so the dog is like one of the worst things that's happened in my life. So uh, we feel you out there, uh, clam digger ball, and uh. Uh, we're rooting for you, and hopefully, you know, in the future, you can get yourself another little pup take its place. All right, so let's move on to this week. I'm just going to go over the course uh, lightly because, again, you know, when it comes to this event, the course isn't the most important thing. The strategy and your line of construction, that's what's going to be important. Tam will go over that here, but let's go over a little bit of the course des description. Like unlike, unlike most weeks, uh, where knowing how a course is set up is a good base to start your research to see what golfers fit the course. Uh, match play, whole different animal. Uh, in my opinion, the course setup and layout means less than it normally would in a stroke play event. Uh, nevertheless, let's still go over it. Um, the major parts. Austin Country Club, 7,100-yard par 71, three reachable par fives, and a reachable par four. It is a classic Pete Dye design where precision and accuracy off the tee 
definitely more important than distance. The course actually feels like two different courses. As the front nine, much lighter, uh, much tighter off the tee, and the back a lot more open. Uh, the rough, uh, so bunkers are in play off the tee. There are a few holes with water also. Uh, the rough isn't going to be as light as it will be at Corrales this week, but it's not going to be crazy long or thick. Uh, you know, though the back nine is more open off the tee, trees line the fairways a bit more on the back. Uh, than they do on the front, though they can be an issue on errant drives on both nines. Uh, on approach shots, golfers will see a wide array of green sizes, ranging from very small to fairly large. The greens are guarded by pot bunkers, water, and multiple runoff areas. The Bermuda grass greens have a good amount of undulation and should be firm and quite quick. Tambo, let's go over roster construction and strategy and how you go about this week in DFS. Yeah, like I said, there's lots out there on it, but just to talk quickly on it, obviously, like I said, especially in the larger field tournaments, because I do want to talk about this for two seconds, I was going to bring this up, but we're aiming for the final four. The way it is, is obviously, if you look at, you know, group one and group 16, where they would end up, you don't want to really have it where Scotty Scheffler plays JT Poston in the Sweet 16. You're already canceling out the opportunity there. So, you know, little things like that, when you're setting up your rules and getting all your optimizer stuff set up, you're trying to make it so the guys can actually meet in the final four. You could have one guy from quadrant one, one guy from quadrant at the bottom, and then two and two to make it a four, two. And then at least you have a chance to get there. But the one thing I did want to talk about, Kenny, because I actually had people reach out with this question. I got to dig in more. Like, I don't know in the higher stakes, smaller dollar stuff. I, again, I still, I'm going to play it to play it, to get the best lineup because I want that opportunity to get there. And it's definitely out there, but there is some conversation and some argument around people saying, why don't I just stack up one side to get a better chance at the winner, you know, in cash, for example, how important the winner is. And in an event like this, where there's so much variance and some randoms get through and all that, I can see it. My argument was that if you've got like a 30 man or more, it's likely that more people are building for the optimal. And if they are, there's probably three or four of them that get through and find some sort of group of that optimal that at least gets them three guys or something where they still have that shot. And then all it takes is one to get there. And your, your strategy is probably done. The other thing right quick, and then I'll let you go ahead, anything you want to add, but the, you know, the other argument that gets made, Kenny, as well, but what if all the top seeds get through? They're too expensive. You won't be able to afford it all. And realistically, is that possible? Yes, but the the top seeds just have not had a good run here. I think last year in 2016 were the, the most we've seen it. And that, again, though, remember, was only them getting through round one. That still doesn't guarantee. You still got to get through everything else. So it really didn't matter. And like I said, last year, the rest still got through. I think it's just over 30% of the time that we're seeing these top seeds get through out of the first round even. So that just goes to show that's unlikely to happen as well. And we'll talk more about it, but there's the, that's the rules. And that, you know, people call it to me, that's not necessarily just the game theory. That's like the, the, the strategy. You need to have that strategy going in. The game theory becomes a little bit different when everyone says, well, there's no way Cantlay doesn't run through this group at the bottom of the top, you know, the bottom left of the first quadrant on the left side, you know, they, you say, see that, and that's how you can shape your lineups differently. That to me is more the game theory. The strategy is the obvious. You have to have these groups and stuff set up up front, but we'll talk more about the game theory when we go throughout of what we think others are doing and what we could try and do to combat that and get different in our own lineups. Yeah, I won't pay, I won't play cash uh, in this event. I'll just play TPPs this week. But if I did play cash, I don't mind that one side uh, going with one side of the bracket and trying to get at least one guy right, 
maybe two guys. If you get two in the final four, you're winning in cash. If you get one in the final four, more than likely you're going to cash and catch. So I and sort of get like the points of them playing each other and they could yeah. still end up in the round. Again, it's not ideal yeah. for we're telling you. No, for, not for, ideal for I'm GPPs, not doing that, but I but understand like for double why ups, saying, yeah. But for double ups and stuff, I, I could see it going that direction. I, uh, I will that, say, I think the math is still against it, but I get where people are coming from saying, well, that, that's your, your basic math. I'm saying yeah. that at least it would guarantee me some sweat that I can get yeah. my double up. Tournaments, yeah. no chance. That, that's yeah, all I'm tur- saying. Tournaments is not going to happen. And, and, and I'm, I'm probably I'm not, not doing it cash. anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably not doing it anyway. I just, I did have people, enough people bring it up that I wanted to comment on it quickly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that either. And then, you know, and then also like, you know, one thing you can also try and avoid is guys meeting up in the Sweet 16, like you talked about. You want to avoid that also. So even yeah. if you're going to double up in one quadrant, you want to go one guy in the top eight, one guy in the bottom eight more than likely. So then the, the, they'll meet up in the elite eight, not in the sweet 16. Uh, so you have them going farther. Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely optimal stuff that you can do. We've been doing this for years now. So everyone should have an idea of how to go. If not, you know, go, you know, we could read, you could read my article, Pat's article, or watch uh, Tambo's shows later in the week. Uh, and, and they'll go over all that with us. But let's go ahead and let's start with these quadrants. Let's start off on the top left of our bracket with the group with the first group here. Uh Scheffler, Tom Kim, Norin, and Riley. Who do you think is the favorite? Obviously, Scheffler. <laughs> and do you think there is a sleeper possibility? Let's do that for each of these quadrants. Yeah, Tell I think the, the one up there, so obviously Scotty's the favorite for a reason. The, the thing is, I, I'm looking at it as like all eight guys. I know we're going to go by the four for this example, but I said I would bring this up along the way because who they run into is the group of Sungjae, Fleetwood, Poston, McNeely. I'm more scared of like that angle. I think Scotty's good here. Norrin has great match play history, both at this course and just in general as a whole. So I think that's one thing you could look at. But, you know, Tom Kim gets hot with the putter. Riley's played pretty good. Uh, last week at least or the, or the week before that too so you, you look at these guys uh-huh. there is upsets in here i just don't know this is one thing i was going to bring up kenny is the also another thing the actual number one seed which this year is the scotty scheffler you know coming off the win the second where he's ranked one number one in the world of course that they have not fared as well right and people forget this but like last year scotty was the five seed he wasn't the number one seed to go on and get that win so i would have no problem not because I don't think he can get through it. I'm going to play him in some. I'm saying, but if you wanted to fade him in his group and pick someone instead, or when we get to this next one, group 16, that's in the same setup there, that you could go to someone there instead and play them as the one that beats them. Uh, I'll bring up some more tips later because I have something else I want to ask you once we get through some of this, but I'll let you talk about it too. But Scotty, Norin, and then I guess Tom Kim would be the, the third guy there. Yeah, I mean, Scotty's, of course, going to be the favorite. I got no problem if you're going to roster a bunch of him. The guy's the best on the planet. He's been in the finals here, what, two of the last three years, one last year. I mean, you don't have to go too crazy uh, in this quadrant. If you just want to go Scotty, go Scotty. I'm not going to tell you against it, but, uh, you know, Tom has a chance. Uh, This is the type of course I think Tom can sell at, smaller course um, where, you know, a little bit more accuracy off the tee is more of an advantage than pounding it out there. If, you know, Scheffler has any issues like he has, I mean, he hasn't been perfect off the tee here recently. Uh, he's been pulling a lot of his drives. Those type of things come to his game. I could see uh, Tom beating Scotty. I don't know if it's going to be the first match. We'll have to see. Uh, but that's something I could see happening. Uh, the next bracket, 
I sort of like Maverick McNeely to come out of this group. Uh, he went undefeated last year uh, in in his group play, but lost in the playoff. Uh, and like every match that he won, he won by like a lot. Like it wasn't like close. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like two matches he won were like, I think by over, you know, were over before 15 or 16, uh, the 16th hole uh, last year. So I like Mav uh, to be sort of a sleeper in this second quadrant with Sungjae Fleetwood, JT, and Mav. Who do you like in this second quadrant? Yeah, I'll go there one second just to note. Uh, Scotty plays Riley in in the first. First, match. okay. And I think there's some history there too. I can't. I don't. I don't want to be quoted on, but I think it was like back in the day at a junior or something like that where they played head to head, and I guess like it was something like Riley called a penalty on himself, which ended up giving Scotty the win. I believe is the story. So just some history there. It makes it at least interesting. But that's one thing I was gonna say. Sometimes. You want to target these two, Kenny, like the guys that win their first round matchup, they move on heavily. It's something like 75% of the time. Yeah. You're talking on. about the first. Yeah. The, it's yeah, like so, 78, 78% of the time. Right. Which it was, think, yeah. it's a pretty solid stat. It's almost 80% yeah. of the time. The guy that wins their first matchup. Now, again, somebody else wins their first matchup too in that same quadrant. So they end up facing each other and then it becomes down to that. But it's just something to note. If someone plays someone a little bit tougher, you could see them getting beat. And there's other reasons you want to put into it. I am looking and comparing some of that math as well to make things look a little bit easier when I'm building up my lineups, at least for something higher dollar, smaller field, looking to still build optimally. I might consider that when I'm going out to build that. So going to this next group here, Sungjae uh, still looks good to me. I'm always a Sungjae guy, so I'm going to stick with him there. But just going to this group, uh, Fleetwood has been playing better golf lately. I guess Poston would be the sleeper, but... I think it's between Sungjae and Fleetwood. I'm actually not high on Mav just based on last year, how he was undefeated, all that. Uh, I, I know the price is fair, all that, but I, I would take a chance on Poston before him. I, I like Sungjae and Fleetwood quite a bit in this spot. And the other reason I was bringing it up, Kenny, is because as I said earlier, I could see where even if Scotty gets through, I know what his history is the last two years, but it, was, like, it would not surprise me if Fleetwood got him or if Sungjae got him or something like that, if it even ends up being those two in the second round. And then lastly, only going to talk about it for this group. I'll relate it to others if I see it fit. But just to talk about this quickly, that's the other thing is, Kenny, the 4-2, right? Where you can still get four guys into the final four. If What if the other side, you want to pick your four guys that can meet in the Elite Eight and skip this and say, look, even if Scotty gets through round one, he's expensive. What if he goes out in the Elite Eight to this, you know, some of these guys in nine and eight that beat him? You only need to pick one guy. From there and then one guy from the bottom part in an example of a 4-2 or you could do a 3-3 where you skip out on the 1 and 16 spots here with Scotty's group and Sungjae's group and just pick one of the group 9 or group 8 and two of group 5, 12, 13, 4, obviously one from each. I know it gets confusing but you know what I'm saying and I'm sure many do where you just can avoid that too and say that look even if Scotty gets through he's expensive and if he doesn't get through the second part of it He's not going to be needed. I think that's definitely a possibility as well and something that I'll look at when I'm building out my lineups this week. Well, I mean, a volatility in this type of event is the most you'll see probably in any event ever, right? Because, I mean, like you said, the favorites don't always win. They actually have a a, a lower percentage, the 30%. I mean, is, is, what the, is the number one seed in each group uh, getting through. So, I mean, if you got all your top seeds going through, if you're doing like a bracket bracket, uh, probably want to avoid that because it just doesn't work like that. And there's too much volatility. And these guys, go ahead. No, I just you were going to say it, but I think I was just going to add that quickly, is that I definitely recommend that too. There's printable brackets out there. You can go get them, print it off, try and draw that out, and then build your lineups accordingly to that, especially if you're only doing like 10 to 20. 
it gets even easier to hand build it that way. I'm playing 150 because I think there is that much of an edge. It's it's typically more than rake free. I think last year was 30% of the people did not build optimally. I had some close down the stretch when Skyler's doing his, these guys have a chance. I had some in there, just didn't get all the way there. But, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I'm definitely using an optimizer. But if you want to just draw out what you think happens and then see how that fits in the lineups and follows these things we're talking about, making sure you have the four guys that are in your elite eight or sorry, in your uh, in your final four, and then building back the best version of it from there, I got no problem with that either, especially for some of your hand builds or if you're only building 10 to 20 lineups. I think you can get away with that, no problem. Go ahead. Let's go to this next uh, foursome. We got Morikawa, Dace, Fenson, and Perez. Tambo. Yeah, Perez is the one that I think could be sneaky, but I think he's also the one people might want to be sneaky. Not that he's going to pick up the ownership, but you know everyone's been playing so well in this group. We'll, uh, we'll talk here. I don't think this is the group of death, but from a handicapping or just picking what you see happening out of this group, I, I see where people might say it's Morikawa, no no chance. Like, just look at him, his approach game, everything that matches up to this course. 3-0 last year in group yeah, play. That too, yeah. But but then you know what What do we always say about one Colin Morikawa? Uh, if he finds the putter, he's deadly. Well, guess what? That means some of the times he doesn't find the putter. And if that's the case, and in match play and anything like that, it would not surprise me if Day or any of these guys, but I think... To me, it's Svensson is the guy that comes out as the sleeper. Just you talk about what what he does, just punishes guys. The just a ball striking machine. Again, he needs to find a putter too. The difference is he's sixty seven hundred versus Morikawa is ninety five hundred. You look at the numbers too. Last fifty rounds, solid across the board, just even. But that's built into the price at sixty seven hundred. And again, if if Morikawa doesn't find it. If Perez isn't the sleeper that some might want him to be, and if Jason Day just doesn't have it at this event, he does have a great match play record overall, both here uh, or just in general. So not here but overall, I wrote it down, but in general, uh, I could see it being Adam Svensson as a sneaky play out of this group. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to look at Perez because of what he did a couple of years ago when he yeah. went to the final four uh, and that's understandable. Uh, Svensson's going to be the lowest owned of these four i sort of like that play because i think all of these guys have a chance of winning this i mean like i said they all have upside because you know day has won this event before morikawa three and oh last year uh go you know before he hit the sweet 16 um perez been to a final four spence is the one that's sort of been uh that doesn't have like the uh the pedigree that the other three have but he's gonna be you know single digit owned uh, and, and it could be a, a sleeper, but I don't know if I'm going to go in that direction. Uh, but we'll have to see as the week goes on. Uh, this last group, slow key tough, but with Hovland, Kirk, Siwoo Kim, and Kucher. Kucher, one of the best at this event for the last decade. You know, Siwoo Kim, peak die specialist. Uh, you got Chris Kirk, who's played well in match play and he's of course playing well this season with a victory couple of runner-ups and of course you have the favorite Hovland how are you going about this yeah Hovland looks like he should just crush here to me but Siwoo wouldn't surprise me I'm not I don't think I'm gonna do as much with Kucher just based on his match play record both here and in the past it definitely looks like Hovland or Siwoo and this is where I was saying before Kenny this would be another reason why if I just want to get off group one and 16 entirely and if, like we said, even if Svensson was to something like trying to pick in between Day, Morikawa, Svensson, Perez, I could easily just say that Hovland gets through here and make Hovland my guy in this upper quadrant and then pick one or two from the bottom quadrant. I'm not sure if we'll go there next or across, but my point is when you're setting it up, I can just say Hovland makes it to the final four and then pick two or one from down below 
and then three or four from the other side, depending on how we set it up. So uh, I like Hovland here. Si Wu would be the guy that I think could just get sneaky. We've been talking about him all season, just trying to find his way through it. You know, Pete Dye, he's got a pretty good track record on Pete Dye courses. And just in general, at 7,500, it's a pretty fair price. So uh, Hovland and Si Wu are the two that stood out for me here. Yeah, I like, I like, I sort of like Kucher. I mean, he has, he's been playing decent this year. He hasn't been playing horribly. Uh, he's playing a couple of top 25 finishes, a couple of decent finishes out there, uh, making a bunch of cuts. The guy loves this type of uh, platform. He loves match play. Obviously, you look at his overall record. It's one of the strongest there is in the field. I could see him going in through, through to this. I mean, so if you had to pick one guy right now in, in, into the final four in this bracket, who are you taking? I think I like Hovland would be probably my guess here. He may be get he may get really popular at at ninety six hundred, but uh, I do like Hovland quite a bit coming out of here. Okay. I, I like Scheffler, but if I mean I'm not going to take that easy amount of a route. I I, I like Matt. I, I like McNeely. I I like him in, in match play. I like the way he can putt. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with him as my sleeper uh, down in this range. Um, it, you know I'm going to have a lot of Scheffler, but I'm going to have plenty of Matt. Let's go down to this next bottom quadrant uh for the, this bracket we have homa decky kisner and justin Suh. who are you going with another one here just looks you know like a tougher group but homa stands out to me at least on paper i think he will to most but the interesting part kenny is his price i know when we do this by the quadrant it's not always the same as everybody sees but he's ten thousand one hundred. So we don't get the best buy pricing of 9,900 bucks or lower or anything like that. So, and then you can make a case Kisner, like you just did for Kucher in the last group. Obviously he's got incredible track record in match play. Doesn't Orno, matter. So bad. Yeah. I, I didn't so go bad. back and fully look into it, but it doesn't see, it seemed like he hasn't needed the best form coming into this, just to be able to yeah. find his groove That's and get true. through it. The other thing though, is you, you do have Decky and son, you know, whatever, but Homa Kisner would be the kind of two that I'm looking at there. Definitely Homa. For me, and then the other thing is when we get into group 12 in a second, I'll wait for group 12, but there's more to talk about here. So you go ahead with the first group, group five, Homa down to Su, and then we'll bring in group 12. Yeah, I mean, Decky seems to stand out after his performance uh, at the players. It looks like he's healthy. Uh, you know, his iron game is strong. You know, his around the green game is good. I think it's just going to be a battle between him and Homa. Uh, whoever wins that match is going to go on. Uh, personally, I think I don't, I don't think I see uh, the, the underdogs uh, in this bracket going in this quadrant going through. Now, the next bracket, the next quadrant, I think is one of the toughest ones out there. We have you have Spieth, Lowry, Montgomery and Hughes. Uh, how you going? This, this is what I was going to say. I mean, I, I'm everyone's trying to figure out the group of death. We'll talk through it in some of the other ones. I think group. Hmm, let me see here. Group two is interesting, too, with the ROM group, which we'll get to shortly. But this yeah. one is, like someone said it today, the group of the Magic Beans, Mackenzie Hughes, the Canadian Spieth, Taylor Montgomery can just get extremely hot with the putter, which is a big thing in match play. There's another guy later, I think in one of the last groups that we'll talk about that you know fits this mold as well. And then Lowry, just what he can do around the greens, his hands, his approach game has actually been solid lately over these last 50 rounds to see him out there. So uh, this is a really tough group to pick from. This is where I'm saying, though, that's why even though I like Homa in the other one, I think this is the group that could you could find just steamroll their way through some of these other groups. Even if it was Kisner who snuck out or anything like that, and as good as he is, this feels like the group where that you could just see them continue on. So I'm going to target this group pretty heavily, I think. I, I like in some and then avoid in others because that's the point I would make if you are – seeing if it's hard to get something right there, you can also just avoid, like I talked about the upper quadrant, but for me, I like this group. So um, Lowry, 
Montgomery for that putter. And then even Hughes, just with, like I said, how hot he can get around the greens and, and just getting lucky with stuff too. But mainly for him, it's a price factor. Tough to get up to 10 to Jordan Spieth, but man, he he's also tough to play against. The thing is, you, you know, the, the three foot putts, He's been missing lately. I hope they're not giving him any of these gimmies. It's match play because definitely should not be giving him those putts the way he literally lost a tournament two weeks ago with by missing three, four and five footers. So uh, hopefully they're not giving him too many putts here because that would just be an automatic Jordan move on. But I, I like him probably the least of all of them in this group, as good as he is. I, I like Taylor Montgomery, you know, a guy who makes a ton of birdies and can get super hot with a putter. That can go a long fucking way uh, in match play. So I sort of like him. Uh, in this group let's go on down burns power scott hadwin yeah this one is another one that's uh, a bit of a challenge adam scott has decent match play history at austin country club but just in general the one guy i because i don't have a strong take on the rest was adam hadwin uh, i actually like what i've seen just a little bit from him his ball striking you can get hot with the putter at times. I think the obvious would be to go to Burns, but then you see because of just what he did last week and he's just so strong in this group. But the challenge I have here, Kenny, and so I'll keep it short, is group four coming up next. Uh, I think the I think the, the winner of the Sweet 16 matchup for this spot is coming out of the next group. So uh, I'll leave it short here. If you want to play some of these guys, you can. I, I just think the winner's coming out of group four. When we get I there. think power is interesting in that group. He won his group last year. Not many people thought he would. Uh, he has the experience of someone she can go on. His form isn't that great. But again, this is just a different type of golf. I mean, you don't have to. You can shoot like a quadruple bogey and be fine. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's what a lot of these guys end up doing. And that's why they, they fall off on these stroke play events because they have those one or two bad holes. One or two bad holes are going to kill you uh, in match play. So uh, I sort of like Seamus um, in this. But Burns has been playing better. Uh, it could be tough to beat. Now, the final group is, you know, I think was where I like Cantley a lot this week. Again, another guy who performs well in match play, a guy who has good, great form coming in here. You sort of sort of see a win is almost coming for him uh, here soon because the guys have just been playing excellent golf, top finishes all season so far. Uh, I don't see a problem for Cantley getting through this group. I think he's going to be uh, one of the easier ones to get through. I have a bet on him at 20 to one. He's my, um, he, he's one of my, my big bets for this week. Tamba, what about you? Yeah, pretty obvious. You just talked about him. Look, if, you know, Nick Taylor, Brian Harmon, you know, Brian Harmon's been killing everybody. He could show up, you know, he's kind of play like, play like a Kevin Kisner style and just get through, but KH Lee don't want to give no, no disrespect to him either, but just in general, this group looks like it's can't lays to lose. And then, Again, if Cantlay's going up against Burns, Power, Scott, Hadwin, it's match play. Variance is there, but don't see him losing there. I mean, this is the matchup I want to see, Kenny. I want to see Homa versus Cantlay is what I would love to see. So when I'm building out my favorites get there type bracket, that, that's the ones I would put into it. And I would actually love to see that in the Elite Eight. But uh, I actually have Cantlay, and I'll round out the question you asked me last time. That's who I've got going there against Hovland in the Final Four. So uh, I like that for my setup right now. Yeah, Canley. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Mav in the top one just to be different, but I like Canley in this bottom left quadrant. Let's go to the top right. Uh, we got Rom, Horschel, Mitchell, Fowler. Pretty tough group. Uh, you know, Horschel form isn't there, uh, but of course he crushes the match play. Mitchell's been playing excellent golf. Um, you know, Fowler is Fowler. He's been improving. Does Rom just sweep this board easy? Do you think he struggles at all? I think he could. I, I think it could too. It's really hard. I will, I'll talk about this in one second. I just thought of one quick thing though, going back that I want to mention there was with Homa, 
is 10-1. So back to this now, I'm flipping back on my point that I made earlier, is like for just thinking in my own head, Cantlay versus Homas, if that's what I want to see and that's who I have, I would have to think Homa comes in lower on than Cantlay. Cantlay has this what's quote-unquote easy path. He should be pretty popular. If all I need, again, I still think Cantlay will beat Homa heads up, but I, why? Homa's won all these tournaments, all the stuff that he's got going on right now. He should have a ton of confidence, and it segues into the Rom factor where Homa uh, could not close Rom at Riv, but man, it was pretty dead. Like he did everything in his power to try and close this guy out. And that was Rom at his highest powers that day. But just to bring it up, that's where I'm saying, if you leave 600 bucks and you can play Homa instead, if you already think they're going to get there anyway, and you think Homa can get through, that's where I wouldn't hate it, where you just don't play Cantley and play Homa instead and hope that it is them in the final or in the elite eight. And that it is Homa moving on instead of Cantley. It's just a way to get different in your lineup. So uh, Rom up here, but this is the other one. I think people are considering this Kenny as a group of death, if you will. I, I don't know if it is the actual one, but because of Horschel's history in match play, Rom being as good as he is and having good history in match play, uh, Fowler and Mitchell are no slouch. I mean, the downfall for Fowler, I know everyone's talking about it this week about his master's bid to get back in. I think he needs an elite eight or better here, or he has to win at the Valero. So his best best path is to get through here somehow. And, and honestly, match play could be a better format for Ricky. You, you talk about it. I know it hasn't been as strong lately, but if you go back in, he's still middle of the field in approach over the last 50, but trending in the right direction off of what some of these results we've seen from him lately. And we know he can get hot with a putter. So not my favorite, but just to bring that up, Rom looks good. I, again, the next group, though, that we're going to get into, I think there's still some guys in here that could outdo these guys. Billy Horschel, Keith Mitchell, you're guessing at these guys, which one's going to show up. They're all good players and in heads up format. Anything could happen. So I'll look at it more as we get into it. I'll, I'll see while you talk who Rom is playing first. I am curious about that. I, I like Rom. I think I think he comes out of this pretty easily. I, I don't have I don't think Horschel's form is as good. Keith Mitchell, I mean, of course, he could he could pound it out there just as far as Rom does. Uh, you know, it's definitely risk risky. But I I think Rom gets out of here. I, I don't see uh, too much of a problem. The, the next foursome is Cam Young, uh, Sepp Straka, Corey Connors, and Davis Thompson. Uh, you know, everybody except Cam Cam Young in the last. 24 rounds has lost strokes total except yeah. cam young in this group uh so uh, that's not great for the rest of the group i mean cam's going to be the favorite he's going to be extremely popular in this group everyone thinks that he should get by and he really should uh and his ownership will reflect that he will be highly owned if you're looking for somebody in this to, to take him down could be davis thompson uh single digit ownership 6k range plays well on pete die courses i think he had a runner up at a pete die course earlier this year a top five uh you know at a pete die course earlier this year uh he had that little bit of a run uh his putter can get hot it's not the best putter but when it gets hot it can get hot uh you know maybe that's someone to look at uh in here where you can get him cheap and low owned uh tamba what about you are you going to stray away from cam young at all in this group I, I think for sure. I think one of the things is that it's just how popular he is. I'll be playing him, but I'm saying in general, I think there's something to be said for moving off him completely. And then also just looking at it going back again, the way I look at these, these types of slates, like, so Rom plays Mitchell in round one. If Mitchell can upset Rom, imagine the confidence he has going into now face whoever it is, Billy or, or Ricky, he gets out and then you're going to be feeling pretty strong. And, and so I actually don't, hate him up top just to think about that from that perspective here the thing with cam is just 9200 looks like by far and away the best guy in the group 
The issue is, like I said, a, a guy like Cam Young can be solid and do what he, you expect in round one, setting it up and then getting to the Sweet 16. But, you know, running into a ROM or if Billy Ho gets hot or Mitchell, like I said, with that confidence, it could be game over for him right there. So just from a game theory perspective, he would make sense for a guy to be a little bit lower on to me because I think it can get tough. And then don't forget, even if he somehow gets to the Elite Eight, we're about to get into that's a good segue to the next group is, and I'll talk about Connors for a second, but Finau, uh, Will Zalatoris, some guys like that, they I, could easily beat him out too. So I think there's a lot of game theory in this upper right-hand quadrant for sure when it comes to that perspective. Corey Connors reminds me of like a Morikawa, the irons, the approach game, if he gets out with the putter, you know, again, it's if he gets out with the putter, but at 7,900, I would have no problem with him. He is a ball striker. It's a guy that you want in this type of format that can just greens of what we say last season was greens of regulation them to death and just keep popping it in their face. And, and it's just so frustrating when you're not that guy. So if Cam Young's having an off day, if Davis Thompson and Straka, you know, they're 61 and 6,200 for a reason, their talent levels are good. Straka is actually a guy I hear people talking about Kenny as a sleeper because of his, his ranking, this world ranking and whatnot and everything that goes with that. But man, I think it would be Connors here for the upset. So pretty set on those two here, Cam Young and Corey Connors. All right, yeah. I mean, when you go down to the next one, you got Fina, Kitayama, Moronk, and Bazinhut. I mean, it's pretty smooth sailing for Fina. You got Bazinhut who hasn't won a match uh, in match play in his career. And then the other two guys who have very, very little match play experience. Do you just give this to Tony? Or is this one where Tony blows it? I'm very heavy on Tony. This week, I only have two bets for this week, and Tony is one of them. So I'll I'll give you that right now. Also, he's the one I had start. I just had to double check it to make sure uh, all the bad stuff you said about Bazudenhout. Guess who plays Bazudenhout in round one with the seventy eight percent moving on? If you win that first matchup, I know Tony Finau's match play history actually hasn't been great, but imagine if it hasn't been. This couldn't be a better setup for you to get no. started. He's going to play Bez, hopefully beat him. And then I'm more worried about like Kirk Kitayama or is Moronk going to be the guy? What, what, who are some of the guys we've seen in the bat in the past, like Lucas Beergard and those guys that just end up like Lucas Beergard ended up beating Tiger at that yeah. time or something to move on. If that happens that it's Moronk, he's the guy I have as more of a sleeper here at 6,400. But I do think Finau should cruise. And it's again, the next group he'll run into a Zalatoris, let's say, who should be pretty popular. Well, you're not playing them both. So if I got Finau in those lineups and he does get through this, I'm hoping and thinking it's good that he's going up against a high-owned Zalatoris if Zalatoris even gets through in this next group. And then Tony can at least get to the Elite Eight where then we'll have to decide against a Rom or a Cam Young or whoever the sleeper is that gets through. But I, I'm pretty high on Tony. I like his first matchup. I like everything that goes with that. At 9,800, I think it's just fine. So I'm good with Tony here. Yeah, yeah, he, I like Tony. He, he's going to be my play uh, in this race. Now you go to the next four. Willie Z, Fox, English Putnam. A lot of question marks here. Um, Willie hasn't really been playing very well. Uh, you know, Ryan Fox, No, not many people see him, and he's known for his driver. Uh, you're sort of muted uh, in, at this course. Is Harris English to play? Uh, I'm. He's never my play, so I'm not a good one to ask. But I was going to say I would actually play – I, I got Zalatoris for sure. And, and then, but I, I know he'll be popular. He has the best buy pricing at 8,900, but I, I like Putnam at a, at a starter minimum 6K. Talk about a guy that can find a putter. I, I got one more later, but it's Putnam to me would be the guy. And if he does, I mean, that could be huge at 6,000. And then that forces you to leave out Zalatoris and Finau. So again, lo lots of different ways you can go about it. And why I think this upper right quadrant has a bunch of stuff 
that you can do when it comes to how your, your slate shakes out in building your lineups. Again, just from a game theory perspective, but Putnam at stone minimum 6K, I think at least has a little bit of interest for me. Yeah, I can get behind it. Anyone who's a strong putter like that, I can get behind. Uh, Fino, let's go. Fino's my guy to go through, so I got Fino up top. So, yeah, I, I would say Fino or Rom for me uh, to go through. If I had to pick one, I'll go ahead and pick Fino uh, because I sort of like I like the way his, his pass leads, um, like you said. So let's go to this final uh, quad, final, final side of this bracket. We got Xander, Hoagie, Wise, and Davis. I mean, it sounds like Xander should – go through with it but you know camp davis he would be he, we found out that he's been sick for the first two months of the year i guess is what happened and no one knew about this sickness and that's sort of why he's been playing like ass uh he's finally gotten over it and he's been playing a little bit better um i could see him doing some damage and also hollywood hoagie uh you know if it's an iron play type of deal lots of wedges is what you're gonna see I mean, I could see them taking on Xander. Do you think Xander gets through in this range? I want, I'm actually wondering more about what happens with Xander's ownership because it looks like on paper he's the guy, but all day I've heard Hoagie. People are betting Hoagie. He's only 7,700. His stats look incredible. He's, I think, number one on approach on Fantasy National over the last 50 rounds, which many people are going to go to there. And then Cam Davis, the same argument you just made of why he could be the guy that gets through at 6,600. So it actually makes me wonder because I, I kind of like Xander in the sense that you go back over to the other quadrant, Max Homa, 10-1, Cantlay, 10-7. And then if people are just going to go up to Scotty, 11-1, like he's the guy, like to me, again, it's a, a price slash quadrant than Kenny where it feels like if he gets squeezed and people prefer to take the value plays instead, Xander could actually turn out to be pretty interesting because he ranks third on approach, all the other stuff, Xander, you like all around game. You talk about a guy Rom-esque or Scheffler-esque in match play. It's just, it's annoying. He's just so good at everything that that can just get frustrating. And if these guys like a Hoagie or a Davis don't come through and they're popular value plays, you can easily see people staring at their computer being like, why the hell did I go so heavy on Tom Hoagie or Cam Davis? Like all of a sudden they were my favorite dude in the value play range. Like you could see that. And so I'll say that about him. That's sort of how I feel about this whole group, Xander, and then pick your choice of Hoagie or Davis. But when you tie in the next group, which we're going to go to in a second, Fitzpatrick, Thigala, Minwoo, and JJ Spawn, that looks like a pretty easy matchup for Xander. As much as we'll talk about some of those dudes in a second that can get hot and you can feel like Minwoo could be a killer. Like Minwoo in, in, in this format could just go out, make all the birdies and do what he needs to do to win these matches with birdies, even to put more pressure on because You don't need them. It's his best score one-on-one, but I'm saying like, just crush you and, and crush dreams and move on. But I still think Xander would have a good path on the next rounds. So I, I might like Xander more than most just based on that. I'm not sure how his ownership will reflect, but I do think Hoagie and Davis could pull away from that. Some. I, I like, okay, let's go. If we go to the next group, Minwoo's one of my favorite plays okay. uh, this week. Uh, just because, you know, the way his game shapes, it's perfect for Pete Dye courses. Uh, he loves to shape the ball in both directions. And that's something you need at Pete Dye where they have those dog legs right, dog legs left. I feel like it would be a perfect, perfect type of type of course for him. Uh, he hits that driving iron 280 yards, uh, you know, straight down the middle of the fairway. That's what he's going to be using uh, the majority of the time. And I think it's going to be very, very helpful. It's not like this course is long. I like Minwoo a lot. Give me Minwoo uh, out of this range, out of this quadrant. Who do you like? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just talk quickly on him because him or Thigala are the two that stand out. Thigala, the swagger, we always talk about it. He can be Rom-esque in a sense without the complete game, but he's shown a great start to the season this year, so you could see that come out of him. But one thing, the last thing I'll say before we go to the final one, Kenny, just in general, Minwoo, extremely interesting. I, again, don't know how many people think about things like this. This is exactly how I think about them. So to go inside the mind, Hoagie is in group six. Minwoo is in group 11. They're in the same spot. Anyone playing Hoagie at 7,700, which it sounds like a lot of people will, will not have Minwoo or Xander, any of those guys, because the rules will set up so they don't have it. Minwoo can be in any of those lines. Every single Hoagie lineup this week can instead be a Minwoo lineup because he's 100 bucks less and he's in the quadrant where you're only picking at most one. So keep that in mind, even if, you know, no matter how popular in our bubble Minwoo gets, if people start bringing this up, Hoagie should definitely be more popular. He's literally number one in approach on the model sites. People are betting him like crazy. Like there, there's people are talking about Hoagie at 7,700. Every single Hoagie lineup built optimally could be Minwoo Lee for hundred bucks less. Just keep that in mind. And it could be an, an easy path. What if Cam Davis does get through and then Minwoo just dusts him? Like you could see any, you could see something like that. No problem. So I, I love the Minwoo call there. And I like how it sets up in this quadrant for that price difference. Next foursome, it's going to be Hatton, Henley, Herbert and Griffin. I mean, Hatton's the obvious favorite. Everyone's betting Hatton. What about Ben Griffin? The guy's just been playing good golf for probably about two months straight. You know he has the confidence. He has a couple of top finishes. His iron game is very, very strong. No one's going to use him. What do you think of Ben Griffin? Yeah, at least interesting from that perspective because the other thing, too, solid around the green game. So even, so he's been good on approach. He's got the irons. Uh, he, he avoids bogeys for the most part. The guy's usually scoring, which is helpful. And, and you look at it from that perspective, Kenny, at 6,500, it's another good spot to either go away from this because Hatton is going to be extremely popular at 9K. I love Hatton. I had him moving all the way through. But I got to talk about this from the same perspective you're bringing it up in. This is definitely an option to just avoid this area or go to the group three, which we'll end on, or pick someone to upset Hatton. And to your point, again, it's tough because Henley, Herbert, any of these guys could do it. But I like what you said about Ben Griffin. And when you add in the around the green with the bogey avoidance, irons, the greens, things like that, he's still pretty good, pretty solid all around for 6,500. So I don't hate it from that perspective. Oh, uh, so you say, but Hatton's your play, right? Hatton's, the guy Hatton's going to be everyone's play there. Uh, let's go to the final quadrant. Rory, Keegan, Denny, Scott Stallings. I know one of your favorites here. One of my favorites is here. Talk about Denny for me, right? Yeah, I like I like Denny. I brought it up earlier just talking about it again. It's just a matter of getting hot with the putter and this kind of being a, a really good format for a guy like him. Keegan, not the best match play overall. Scott Stallings, not a guy I'm too worried about here. If he beats me, he beats me. And then Rory is tricky because he's 200 less than Cantlay which we talked about earlier being a popular play at 10-7. He's in between those 10-1, 10-3 guys, which is, again, why I think you just see Xander somehow get squeezed because, man, like, I don't, I, wouldn't people just go to Rory here? But the other thing is, is that I know there's some hearsay on this, but Rory was hating that, that stealth two driver. Now, they say he lengthened the shaft a little bit, went out to Augusta, played it with the same head with the stealth two, and ended up playing phenomenally. And that's the thing, but... I don't know, man. Like Denny could just get hot with the putter. I, I could see it at 6,900. This is a great spot too, Kenny, where if everyone's on Hatton, not to have to try and get tricky with Ben Griffin or with other guys and just play Denny McCarthy or just play Rory and figure it out. So uh, again, whoever you choose in this range, Rory obviously pops a ton on paper. 
but and people will get the news that he loves this driver now and he's fixed it. So I think Rory could be a little bit popular. The only thing that keeps him in check a little bit is that Tyrrell Hatton is in the same spot where people are going to have at most one of those guys in their lineup. And I actually think Hatton's going to be pretty popular at 9K. I think he might be one of the most popular players on the board. Yeah. Uh, so so if you do want to go away from him, I mean that you know going Rory instead is not not going to be the worst move in the world. All right. I mean you would think. So uh, it's something to think about when it comes down to making your lineups. All right, so final four for me. We'll go Mav McNeely, Cantley, Rom, and Minwoo. Yeah, I got I got way too many favorites, but Hovland, Cantley, I like that one. And then uh, Finau, Xander is where I see it at right now. Like I said, this Xander one gets more and more interesting the more I look at it, even though I like that Minwoo part that I talked about versus Hoagie there. I, I just do like... Xander because I just think that group 11 is one that he could run through as well and then if it's not Hatton or Rory that end up getting through like if it is Denny versus Ben Griffin and two guys sneak through and everyone loves that they have them they could just get punished by a guy like Xander in that elite eight and it's just game over and again they could still be needed because getting through the final four if no other cheap guys do and you need that cheap guy it could happen but I'm just saying that that's how I see it shaking out at least as of now all right, so bets. I only got two so far this week. I got Cantley at 20 to 1, Denny at 100 to 1. Yeah, I got Hatton 25, who I talked about there. And he, he could sub in for Xander, but like you said, just how popular he's going to be and the, the guys that I see there that could beat him. Uh, I do see it as a possible path that he doesn't get through. He hasn't been playing great, match play solid, all that. And then Finau, 30 to 1, right behind him. So just those two guys for right now. Uh, one and done. I'm looking at, you know, with the lineup, I, I got two there. One, I can just use Scheffler in. You can use Scheffler anywhere. I, I feel like this is his format. It looks pretty strong on paper. But after that, I am going to go to some of these other spots, like the if I got Cantlay or Hovland or the ones where I feel like it's just an easier path through Xander. I'll look at it. Like, I really do just think these are the guys that I want to use in this spot. So those would be the guys for me who are some that stand out for you for one and done. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Cantley. I think he wins. I think okay. Cantley is my pick to win. So I'm just going to go ahead and use him in one and done as well. Yeah. I like that. Uh, nothing else, I think, that I wanted to add from uh, the other tips, tricks, just things I was finding there. Like, we talked about it. Oh, I was going to ask you this question. What do you think is the easier side of the bracket? Like, what side do you think, between left or the right, do you think has an easier path where it just seems more obvious than you are, like, versus what's the tough side that anything could happen? Probably the right side. You think the it's one easy? with Rom and Rory, that side looks tough, man. You you think that's the tougher side? No, no, I think that's going to be the easier side. Sorry, the tougher side would be on the left. Because yeah, like if you Scotty. look at like Rom, Young, yeah. Finau, like the, these favorites look like they're more likely to get through, or at least you have a better beat on these groups yes. of who it would be that gets through, or you can feel comfortable with the guy. So that's just one thing I'll I'll ask guys throughout the week. I'll talk to Mayo on it again tomorrow too. But just out of curiosity, I like that. I do like to try and find the easier side of the bracket and target that sum versus making it harder on yourself with guys at higher ownership on the tougher side. When you don't have to do that, you, you can control how you build your bracket out. You can even do a four, two where you just have to just pick the final four guy from the other side and pick the four easy paths that go with it. And that's where you have to take some chances. Like, let's say you say the four, I'll give a quick example. We'll get out of here, but let's say you think it's okay. It's cam young. It's Zalatoris. You're going to take a shot on Minwoo and it's Rory. Or, or Tyrrell or Tyrrell Hatton, whoever you want to choose there, one of those two. So there's your four where you're like, I think I've got the four, if not at least three, and you mix and match your 20 lineups around that. Well, you can only afford so many guys that can make to the final four now on the other side because obviously you're not going to fit Scheffler and Homa to round it out. My point being, though, 
this side is harder. We just said it. The left side is harder is how you feel about it. So you're taking some more upsets and you're taking what makes the most sense. And you can look at two V2s of what fits into your build. And you might find one that you're like, holy shit, that guy might actually have a path if he just beats this guy. Or you look up his first round matchup and it's easy. And you're like, well, he might win that. He's 78% to move on. Okay, he makes sense. And you start giving yourself these math equations to find guys that can move on. At least even if you're doing like hand builds or single entry, I think that stuff would be pretty helpful for a way to look at it. I don't have anything else though that I want to add on this one. Yeah, I think, I think the first first round matchup is very big. Yeah. So if you're looking at the, if you're looking at matchups for the first round and you see people that you think are definitely going to win, those are the people you want to roster in DFS. Uh, you know, because like you said, almost an 80% uh, if you win the first round, you're going to make it to the to the knockout stage. Yes, uh, until, so. until definitely going to win goes bad and they don't yeah. win. But yeah. <laughs> if you feel like they're definitely going to win, that's a way to get behind it. But I think this was good. We broke it down again. Everybody this week is going to tell you the same stuff from how to you know set your groups on. That's important. That's awesome. But I like I like talking more the actual game theory than the strategy to set it up to then build around the game theory. So I think that was solid. You guys have any feedback for us? You can always leave it on the YouTube channel, in the comments there. I check those every single week. Leave us a like button. Hit the subscribe to the Mayo Media Network. Anything else, Kenny? No, you can find me on Twitter at KendoVT. You can find my article at GupsCorner.com. should be out later this evening. Use promo code Kenny. Save yourself 30% on a membership to Gups Corner. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Totag and Tambo. Uh, of note, I know it sucked last week. That was the travel story of why we didn't get. Uh, I said wild night, no tidbits. Usually I would always have it on a regular week like last week. It was just tough. I don't have them, just so people are looking for them for this week. When it starts on Tuesday, or, or on Wednesday, sorry, just not enough time. Myself and Mayo are even recording the in-studio show still, so you'll get that more tomorrow. But for the tidbits and stuff, follow all the guys we mentioned, like Rick Rungood, Rick Gaiman. He's got some stuff out there. Uh, PGA Splits. 101 has some, some good stuff. Model Maniacs, Skylar Hoke, just some that come to mind. Anybody else out there that you see breaking that stuff down on Twitter, they've got some good stuff when it comes to actual tidbits that you guys can check out. And then, of course, rumpiersports.com. Head on over to rumpiersports.com. Use promo code TAMBO15. You want to get 15% off. All sports, one price. All right, so the final match play event for the PGA Tour brings a little bit of tear to my eye. Let's win some motherfucking money. D-Gen Nation. Getting dirty money, Jordan Belfer. Second penny stocks while I'm flipping these birds. Sipping on Ciroc, trip them up with the words.